You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey everyone, welcome to MLB.com Extras. I'm Alexa Dat, and today we are talking Braves baseball. We bring in our Braves reporter for MLB.com, Mark Bowman. Mark, the team announces Joe Simpson and Tim Hudson will be introduced into the Braves Hall of Fame. Let's start with Tim Hudson. Spent nine seasons with his hometown team. What has he meant to this organization? Well, you know, it's, it, it seems like yesterday that they made the trade to to, to bring him from the A's, you know, right there before the 2005 season, that was the point in time where you're going to get getting away from the days of uh, Maddox and Clavin. Smoltz was coming back to the rotation at that point in time, and Tim Hudson was was acquired to, to be that ace for the future. And uh, it, you know, the deal was it was a great deal when you think about what they gave up. And uh, here's a guy that they grew up an hour and a half south of Atlanta, and to be able to come home and, and be able to extend his contract uh, even before the start of spring training that year. Everything, uh, I, I think that, that everything went as well as expected. I thought Tim put it best yesterday when I talked to him. He said, I, I gave it everything I had. He said, there were two two or three years that, that, that you know, I'd like to have back that, that maybe it, uh, maybe I didn't provide, you know, value that, uh, necessary or, or you know what they were seeking but uh this is a deal that that you would do every day uh, you know anytime you had a chance to do this again uh not not just from because of what he provided on the mound but the leadership he provided the the guidance he provided to some of the young pitchers that were coming up as as he was uh in their late well 2009 2010 you had Chris Medlin Tommy Hansen coming through uh to a small extent, uh, he, he got to help Charlie Morton for a little while. Uh, and, and he just was such a, a great clubhouse figure. I was talking to him and Eric Henske and David Ross and, and Jason Hayward uh, during the playoffs at one point in time uh, when the Nationals were playing the Cubs this year about how great that 2010 club was. And then Huddy talked about it. It was a great season for him. He, came, he was coming back from Tommy John. He got comeback player of the year and, he had a great season, but he, he just kept talking about, you know, the, the memories he had of playing uh, for Bobby Cox during that final season, and just, you know, how that team bonded. There was there was something, something special about it. He had a lot of great guys on it, Martin Prado, and like I, the other guys I just mentioned. Uh, it, it just it, there was something. There was the chemistry with that club, and, and also. Um, you know, just that they were bonding to try to make Bobby's season, uh, last season, so special. Um, you know, he was he was a big leader within that clubhouse, um, highly respected, and and uh, you know he, he certainly certainly deserving to go in the Hall of Fame as is you know Joe Simpson. It's, it's good to see here's a guy who's getting getting ready to start his 27th season broadcasting this team, and he he's kind of continuing. Con- continued that lineage um, back to, to Skip and Pete, the two legendary broadcasters. No one will ever be regarded in the same uh, at the same level as Skip and Pete here in Braves history amongst the broadcasters, but at the same time, um, you know, Joe was, Joe learned from those guys. He, he worked with them for many years, and he's kind of kept that, 
settling age alive. And I, you know, he's he, he's uh, his long tenure here is, is going to be rewarded when he goes into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. He began broadcasting for the team back in 1992, so he's definitely seen some ups and downs with this team. Let's talk about some of the latest news with the Braves this week. Their GM is interested in acquiring JT Realmuto and or Christian Yelich potentially from the Marlins. How would the Braves be able to make either of these players work in their organization? Well, it's going to be expensive to get either one of them. And, you know, I think that there are plenty of teams that – they would be interested in either one of these guys. You know, we all know what the Marlins situation is. Um, it's not necessarily uh, as they were unloading Stanton, Gordon, and um, Azuna. You know, it became apparent that you know there, there's a chance that these two guys could could become available. They even, uh, you know, to some extent expressed their their desire to to be traded if, if this is the way the, the team was going. They didn't want to be the last one left in town. So I, you know, I, at that point in time, the interesting thing is this: the Marlins or the Braves were somewhat ahead of the game because they, while some teams were expressing interest in Stanton and Azuna, they were checking in on Yelich, and they thought they made some progress during the winter meetings. Um, but the Marlins backed away at that point in time. They were getting hit pretty hard uh, from a uh, from their fans and everything. But there was a the outlash uh, created by the other. Uh, the other trades was it, it was time for them to, to you know take a break assess where they they stood and you know in the meantime now that you know the Braves are have maintained interest there are many other other teams that that have interest in in Yelich and as for Real Muto I mean I, I wrote last week that you know given the choice as much as I like Yelich he, you know he's I understand he's got a great contract he's got a great future um, I'd, I'd I would take Real Muto because it's a commodity, you know. You, I'm not saying there are yellowches that grow on trees and on every tree, but at the same time, there are very few real mutos in the game. I, he certainly, I think you could consider him a very easily one of the top five catchers in the game. And within the next couple of years, he may be considered the best. I mean, here's a a, a true leader within the clubhouse, a great athlete. Uh, the Braves are hurting for catching within their system. They have a couple lottery tickets. Some some guys that that might develop. Alex Jackson being you know probably the one that got people are going to keep their eyes on the most. But at the same time, here's a guy that that's a, uh, that could be one of the best in the game. Right? Given a choice, I'll take him. But but at the same time, you'll take either one. And if you're you're looking ahead, you know for this season alone, this is Freddie Freeman is going into. To this year, knowing that he really doesn't have any protection behind him, adding either one of those two guys into the lineup lengthens it and provides him the protection that, that he doesn't have within the current uh, projected makeup. All right, now moving on to the free agent market. The Braves are interested in signing a starting pitcher. We'll keep a close eye on that, and you'll fill us in on any updates, Mark. But for now, the Braves have only three starters locked into rotation spots for 2018: Julio Tehran. Mike Boltanevich and the newly acquired Brandon McCarthy. What do you believe the rotation will look like for 2018? Well, I think you've got to throw. Uh, you got to expect the way what you saw from Luis Gohar. It was uh, not a lot of starts there down the stretch, um, but I, I think you have to think that that he has a chance to a good chance to be part of that that rotation. You know, I think you also have to keep your eyes open and the possibility that Julio could be traded. Um, you know, is 
as teams get a sense of where they stand heading towards spring training, if there's a desire to, to add some pitching. Um, you know, here's a guy that, that projects as maybe a decent, some teams may consider him a decent number three, number four starter, just add some depth to the rotation. And then obviously you've you got your young kids coming, and that's going to be the interesting thing in camp is, you know, where does a Lucas Sims fit? It's easy to say, oh, well, maybe he's one of their long relievers. Um, you know, maybe he spent starts the year triple A. You know, he pitched pretty pretty well in, in many games. He's a, he's a competitor. He may not have some of the upside as uh, Max Freed and, and some of the other young guys that are becoming uh, to camp this year looking to, to gain a rotation spot. But you've got Freed and, and Sims there. You've also got Mike Soroka, uh, Colby Allard knocking on the door. You know, and, and as we talk about these guys, it, you know, it, it's a reminder of how deep this system is within pitching and, and why, yes, you know, there are a lot of teams out there bidding for Yelich um, and to real, for real Muto to some extent. Uh, but at the same time, the Braves have the pieces that, that could uh, interest the Marlins because of, you know, this deep pitching crop that, that we talk about, you know, on a weekly basis in some some shape or form. Um, so, and I think that it's going to be very interesting. I think that the rotation could evolve as the, the season goes on. And one other guy I forgot to throw in there was, was Sean Newcomb. I think the same thing with, with Luis Gohar. I, I think he he probably has a spot uh you know, coming coming into the to camp, but at the same time, look, if you're a team, you're not going to guarantee a uh, a guy with less than 20 career starts say, hey, look, he definitely have a a spot in the rotation. You you want him coming to camp hungry and 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 knowing that he has to fight and earn his uh, earn that place that that he gained the previous season. All right. Speaking of pitching depth, let's talk about uh, the bullpen. And I know they've got their closer all set in Vizcaino, but how do you see the rest of this relief core shaping up? Well, you, you've got A.J. Mentor right there behind this guy, you know, um, and you look back at uh, how A.J. fared uh, after he came up in August. He he ended up striking out 17 of the final 31 batters face. This guy has closer stuff. I think you start the season with this guy, you know, as your closer. You know, the Mentor can be a, a top setup man. I think Jose Ramirez, his numbers, uh, were tarnished by the fatigue that he he showed near the down the stretch last year. I think you can can pencil him in there, and I you know, I, I still kind of expect them to to add another bullpen piece. Uh, it, it may not be a necessity. There they have a lot of depth. They have a lot of arms that can can compete for spots. But you know, with their young rotation, they're probably going to go with an eight man pen. So once you get back and, and say you've got Daniel Winkler, Sam Freeman. Um, you know, to to help there in the middle innings, and now all of a sudden you got five year eight. You still want to continue to add because let's look back just one year ago. The Braves brought about fourteen or fifteen uh, guys to camp in, in their bullpen, and you thought, okay, they got plenty of depth; they'll get through this the year just fine. Well, they didn't even get through spring training, you know, without having to to put some guys in that bullpen that they never uh, really intended to. Uh, and then you you take a look back at how many guys that. They were considered candidates last year that aren't even in the system uh, anymore. And that's not just because they were, that's not because they excelled and they went and got a con- big contract elsewhere or uh, were traded for value. You know, they, they just, uh, it's just so hard to predict a, a reliever from year to year. So while you really like what you saw from Sam Freeman last year, 
um, you have to remember that it's it, it's very um, it, it's just hard to predict what what a reliever is going to do from year to year. So you, you've got to have that depth. I think it'd be great if they they use some of the money they have left to to go ahead and add some experience to that pen. All right, last but not least, let's talk about this lineup. We've been talking a lot about the Arizona Fall League MVP, Ronald Acuna. I know a lot of people are excited to see him. How do you think this lineup looks opening day? So opening day, I think we're, it's probably going to be Acuna-less. Uh, they'll probably wait a little bit of time to uh, to get him in the lineup just to, you know, just for the, the service time and all that kind of stuff. Add, uh, enhance the... Uh, the years of control, all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll see exactly how long uh, they wait to add, add him. But I, I think it, there's a reason to be excited about, you know, you're going to have NCR Day up there at the top and, and Albies and, and Freddie Freeman. There is a concern that, you know, you really don't have that guy that can protect. And I would say right now you put Tyler Flowers in the, the cleanup spot and uh, probably Nick Markakis behind him um, as things stand right now. You got Johan Camargo slated at third base, and Dansby Swanson at shortstop. Uh, they're going to go ahead and, and sit down there at the bottom of the lineup. But Camargo, it's, it'll be interesting. I, I still get the sense that Alex Anthopoulos would like to add a third baseman and and utilize Camargo as as one of his bench players. So um, still a chance they go that way. And in left field, um, for now, you're saying Lane Adams is going to hold that spot until they're ready to promote Acuna, whether that's in late April or, you know, early May, early June, whatever. Uh, I'd say Lane Adams will sit there and maybe Preston Tucker. We'll see what, uh, how he does during spring training. Maybe they would share the, the left field position until Acuna's ready. All right, a lot of moves to be made still for this team potentially, so we'll keep our eye on it, and uh, you'll fill us in. But, Mark, thanks so much for joining us this week on MLB.com Extras, Braves edition, obviously. Big thank you, and until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.